Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today, and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Got some things that I uh, have had stirring in my spirit, actually, that uh, the Lord began to speak to me some things about, um, uh, well, really, it's going to be hard for me to not preach it this week, but it's got to wait. But uh, we've got to finish up something that we've already started, and I'm excited about that too. So praise God. We are going to continue to deal today with correcting our Father's reputation. And so many things that we have believed about God that are just not accurate, they, they are just not in character with Him, and things that religion has taught us that, uh, uh, you know, really, sometimes we can have a, a, a reputation because of the things we've done, and sometimes we can have a reputation because of something that people think we did, or somebody said about us, or that somebody else did that is attributed to us, and, uh, you know, we have said some things about God, about, uh, about our Father that are just, uh, they're, they're just not right. And, and they really are not uh, indicative of who He is at all. And, uh, you know, it, it began to dawn on me a few years ago. Um, I was reading 1 Corinthians 13th chapter. It said, love is... And then it begins to talk about all the things that love is and how love behaves and love, love is patient, love is kind, you know, and, and so on, talking about love. And then as I was meditating on that, Holy Spirit just brought to my remembrance that First John chapter 4 says God is love. So if God is love and First Corinthians 13 tells us what love is, if you put those two together, which, you know, we got, we got to be, we got to learn how to do that. You know, if we want to really dig deep into the, to the Word of God and, and, and draw out the truths of the Word of God, we got to learn how to connect scriptures, you know, and not just have a, a, a verse that just stands independent of all the others. You see, because every scripture, every verse in your Bible is connected to every other verse in your Bible. And there's no single verse that just stands out and this is a truth all to itself. No, there is an overall picture that God wants us to understand and, and, and get a hold of. And so... 
um, when we begin to look at the overall picture, sometimes we've got some things in, uh, in, in the wrong place. We've got some things sometimes in the, in, in the wrong context. Sometimes we've got some things, some ideas that are incomplete ideas, and they've got to have other verses to complete those ideas. And so this is what we need to learn to do, you know, and this is why uh, uh, Jesus gave us, the Bible says, when he ascended on high, in other words, when he rose from the dead, and he went back to the Father in heaven, says he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And one of those gifts is a teaching gift. That's why we need teachers to help us to connect these things together and to, to help us to see the overall picture of, of the truths of God's Word. And uh, uh, so I, I just want to encourage you to to grab a hold of these things today and, and, and pull them to yourself and uh, make, make them yours, praise God. And ask Holy Spirit to teach you the, what you need to know out of what I'm sharing with you today. Praise God. And so we talked about some reputations that our Father has that need to be corrected. Last week we talked about the hair trigger God, the God that's just ready to go off on you at any minute that, uh, you know, he is sitting up there in heaven and this is the, uh, I'm not saying this is what he is, that this is the way it is. I'm saying this is the way he's been portrayed as the, the hair-trigger God that's just ready to, to strike you with a lightning bolt at any minute because he is, he is so angry and uh, you had better tiptoe around him because he's going to go off on you. Um, we have pictured God as a divine manipulator, that he is just manipulating you to get what he wants. Uh, but that's not what he is. That's not his character. Uh, we, I want us to talk today about, uh, see, we talked about the offensive God, the God that, uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, the offensive God is just always offending. You know, he, he, he we said many Christians, they're rude because they think God's rude, because they think he's offensive. And so, therefore, they think that if, if I'm going to follow the Lord, then I've got to offend people. And, and they're offended if you don't offend people. You know, and I, I, somehow, uh, you know, you're not bold if you don't offend anybody. And, uh, you know, we need to correct our view of Father God. Now, today, I want to begin by talking about the jealous God. The jealous God. Now, the, there, the Bible actually says that he's a jealous God. But let's understand what that means, uh, you know, that he's a jealous God. Now, many people, when you say jealous, they immediately uh, uh, think of, you know, the, the jealous husband kind of thing. 
that, uh, you know, the husband that is jealous uh, of, um, you know, uh, he, he's jealous in his relationship with his wife, and, uh, you know, he um, really, when we begin to, to look at that, there is a, a phrase that has been, that has been used a lot, uh, and, and it's the, the trophy wife, you know, and uh, we see God almost like this jealous husband, and we are his trophy, and that's what he mean, that's what we mean to him, that, that we are a, a, a means to make him look good, and that's what, that's all God cares about, is that we make him look good, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, this jealous husband mentality, this jealous husband can, you know, he, he's upset if his wife does anything that is not, you know, that he's not the center of. Anybody ever know someone like that? You know, the, this husband that if, if his wife uh, does anything at all that doesn't put him at the center of attention, he's jealous. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we think that God is that jealous husband that uh, if we do anything at all that uh, he's not the center of, you know, let, let me just give you some, some examples of that. Um, you know, many Christians will not, I mean, they, they, they won't even listen to a, a, a secular song because they think God is going to be upset and, and uh, offended by that, that they listen to a secular song on the radio or, or uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, sure, there's some music that's not fit to listen to. You know, that, that, that's just the fact of the matter. But do you know that God is not offended if you listen to something secular? Did you know that God is not offended if you um, if you participate in something that is uh, oh for instance uh, you know I, I went a few years ago to to Disneyland and. You know, I am, I am seeing, standing there at the end of the day, and, and as it gets dark, they're putting on the most amazing laser light show I've ever seen in my life. And, and I'm standing there looking at this thing, and I am thinking that, you know, God gave the creativity to be able to create that. It wasn't about God. But did you know, I, I, I can't believe that God 
were sitting up in heaven offended because his name wasn't involved in this, in, in this laser light show. You know, I, I, I think that God was actually uh, very pleased with the fact that the creativity that he gave someone was utilized in this way. You know, that, that he was excited about. Do you know that, that when you do something and someone applauds you for what you did, do you know that God is excited about that? Because he loves you and you are being honored. He's okay with you being honored. Praise God. You know, um, some people, when they do something, because here's the way a religious spirit and a religious mentality thinks. You know, if I tell Adriana, you did a great job doing worship this morning, which she did, by the way. But, but if I were to say that to her, and if Adriana had this kind of a religious mentality that God is the jealous husband kind of uh, person, that, that she would not even be able to say, thank you. Because she would have to say, to God be all the glory. You know, she, she would, if she had this religious mentality, she would be thinking, if I say thank you, God's going to be upset. Because after all, he's the one that gave me this talent. He's the one that gave me this ability, so I have to give him all the glory. So because of that, she wouldn't be able to find it within herself to even say thank you for the compliment. Well, it's all God. It's all God. You know, I was reading something along these lines the other day, and, uh, and they were describing this kind of thing, and this person that, I was, that was the author of the piece that I was reading he said, if, you know, if I go down and I buy a new dress for my wife and I bless her with that and, you know, and she looks really nice in it and someone says, well, you look really nice in that dress. He said, this is the kind of mentality that says, uh, well, all the glory goes to my husband because he's the one that bought this. I'm really ugly, but he's the one that makes me beautiful. Now, that sounds kind of silly, but this is the kind of mentality that many people have about God. They think God is that way that, that he gets upset. Now, let me tell you what real Bible jealousy is. What he's jealous of, he is jealous not of us, he is jealous for us. Now keep that in mind. He's jealous for you, not jealous of you. Praise God. 
Now, he takes great delight when you are honored. In fact, you know, the, the Bible teaches us that, uh, you know, we are to rejoice when a brother or sister in Christ is, is honored, when someone else is honored. We're to rejoice with them. Now, if, if the Scripture encourages us and, cha- and uh, instructs us to be that way, then don't you think God is that way? Would he instruct us to do something that he doesn't do? So when you are honored, he rejoices. Praise God. Praise God. Now, um, when the Bible talks about God being a jealous God, without exception, it's talking about the worship of other gods. He's talking about, uh, you know, uh, idolatry and, and the worship of other gods. He doesn't want you to worship other gods. And why not? I mean, why, why, is, why is God uh, opposed to you worshiping other gods? Because he knows it's, it's the very same reason why God hates sin. Because sin destroys you. Other gods will destroy you. And God loves you so much that he does not want to see your life destroyed and wrecked. And if you're going after other gods, you see, in in reality, there is no other God except him. So any other God is actually a counterfeit God, really not God. There is no other true God except there is one God. But if you are worshiping what is uh, uh, counterfeit and you know, it will literally destroy your life. This is what the devil does. In fact, all other gods are really just a disguise for the devil. And so his M.O. is he tempts you to do something, and then when you do it, then he destroys you for doing it. And God knows that, And he does not want your life destroyed. Now, if you're a a father of a daughter, the, the thing that you despise and refuse to accept is some guy coming in and hurting your daughter. You will not tolerate it. You will not stand by and let that happen. You are jealous for her, for your daughter. And you will not permit some other guy to come in and hurt her. God will not stand by 
and permit another God to destroy your life. He is jealous for you. Now, we talk about giving our life to Christ. We use that term a lot, you know, since I gave my life to Christ. In reality, what God wants is your heart. <clears throat> in fact, in John 10, let's look at this. John 10, verse number 10, says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is the other gods. See, they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I came that they may have life. He didn't say that he wanted to take our life, that he wanted us to give our life to him. No, he wants us to give him, he, he wants to have our heart. But do you realize, you know, if you were to give him your life, that means you can't do anything that has, that, that doesn't uh, involve him. You realize you can't even go to work if it has to involve, involve him. Why? Because you go to work so that you can earn a living for your life. Praise God. He wants you to have a good and blessed, super abundant life. That's what he wants you to have. Praise God. And anything, here's what you've got to understand, anything that God asks from you is always about what it will do for you. What, what did he say about, you know, about in, in Malachi chapter 3, about tithe? Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Well, who's his house? You are. So if he asks you to bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house... He's saying that so that I will take what you have brought into the storehouse and I will multiply it and bless it back to you and, and increase it back to you. <clears throat> so it's not, it's not a thing for him. He's not selfish. See, we, we see uh, this jealous God as a selfish God. Everything's got to be about him. But even what he asks from you is not about him. What he asks from you is about you. Praise God. Because, you know, we, we, we see Christians say, well, it's all about Jesus. Yes, but Jesus is all about you. Praise God. Praise God. So, you know, he's not like that 
jealous husband that it's all about him. Now, let's look at this one. The proud God. The proud God. See, here's something that sometimes we don't realize that, that God made himself need you. I mean, you ever think about that? You say, well, God doesn't need us. We need him. Well, in, in a sense, that's true. But, but here's what we've got to understand is that God made himself vulnerable. Now, how did he do that? The Bible says when he created Adam and Eve from the dust of the earth and he breathed into them the breath of life, that he said, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps upon the earth. He gave authority in the earth to man. So did God have authority in the earth prior to that time? Prior to putting man, well, I mean, he came in and he didn't ask anybody for permission to create all the things he created. He didn't have to get somebody's permission to do that. But did you know that when he told Adam, he said, have dominion in the earth, you realize God gave up his authority to just do whatever he wanted to do in the earth? Do you realize that God can't just come in and do what he wants to do? If he could, we wouldn't have the mess we have. But he made himself vulnerable to you. He could not even send Jesus into the world without man's permission. So from that day forward, God gave up something to you because he wanted you to be needed. He wanted you to be a part of what was going on. You know, I mean... I hadn't really thought about that until just recently, uh, you know, that God gave, he, he made himself vulnerable to you. If God wants to do it, he has to come and he has to ask you to allow him to do what he wants to do. Why do you think it took, you know, uh, 6,000 years, or not 6,000, 4,000 years from the fall until Jesus came into the world. Why do you think it took 4,000 years to get Jesus into the earth? Because God had to start talking about everything Jesus was going to do. And he had to begin to reveal all of it. Everything Jesus, Jesus couldn't just come into this world and do whatever he wanted to do. He had to get a, a human mouthpiece that would begin to speak what he wanted to do. That's what the prophets were all about. The prophets were saying, you know, 
uh, in the various ways that they said it, the, the essence of what they said is God is going to send his son into the world and this is what his son's going to do. They had to speak that out and people had to get in agreement with that and people had to permit him and allow him to do that. That's why he had to talk about it. So for 4,000 years from Adam to Christ, he's talking about what Jesus is going to do. And he's, he has human beings that are speaking what he's going to do. He made himself vulnerable to you. And the reason he did that is because he wants you involved. And I was thinking the other day, and Fred and I were talking the other night uh, uh, about this, that, you know, I mean, you take a kid, and uh, kid gets her driver's license. And, uh, you know, and the first time, the first time mom says to that kid, I need you to go to the grocery store for me and get some eggs because I'm baking a cake and I need some eggs. And I, I ran out. So the kid's never driven alone. He's driven the car, you know, learning to, to drive and all. But he's ne this is the first time he's ever gone somewhere alone in the car. And he is so excited to go to the grocery store. It's not going to the grocery store, but it's, it's, he is now involved in what's going on. He is he has now reached a place of maturity where he is involved. He is so excited about being able to get in the car and go to the grocery store. Do you realize the the same pleasure and the same joy that that child feels on that that day, that first time that he's asked to do something of importance that involves the car. You know how excited he is about that? Do you realize that's, that's how we get excited when God asks us to do something so we can be involved or that's how we should be excited? Because God wanted to involve us in the process. And so in order for him to involve us in the process, he had to give up something of himself to us. So he created us and put us in the earth, and he gave us dominion over the earth. The Bible says that the, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Praise God. He gave us something, a responsibility. Praise God. And so religion says God doesn't need you. In fact, you're just in his way. You just irritate him. And he, God more or less tolerates you until he gets tired of you. And that's the religious mentality. But the true father, he loves you so much 
that he gave up something of himself so that you could be a part of the process. Praise God. He says, I've got this great purpose and this great plan. I want you to come on in and partner with me on this. You know, when we understand what God is doing in, 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 in all that, when we grasp what he's, what, how he thinks about this, for God to ask you to do something, Instead of saying, oh, do I have to do that? No. If you'll begin to think of it as I have been invited into the process. Praise God. Praise God. You know, fathers who are businessmen often want their sons to come in to the family business. But they don't want their son to just come into the family business and to just, you know, be one of the laborers. No, they want their son to be at the board meeting. They want their son to be involved in the process. They're looking forward to the day that they can turn the reins of things and, they, and, and, and uh, you know, a, a good Father businessman will begin to gradually turn more and more responsibility over to their son because it gives them great joy for their son to be involved in the whole process of this thing. Praise God. And your father God is like that. It gives him great joy to give you more and more and more responsibility. He's not doing that because he can't do it himself. I mean, do we, do we think for a moment that what you do, God couldn't do himself? It's not it. He could do it if that's what he chose to do. But he loves you so much that he invited you into the process. Praise God. He wanted a mutual dependency. You depend on him, he depends on you. Praise God. We're not taking something away from God. He already gave it up willingly because he wanted to involve you. Praise God. Now, what about this one? What about the needy God? The needy God. John chapter 3 <clears throat> Verse number 30, I heard this verse quoted so many times. You know, in, in, in my many years in, in the church and hearing a whole lot of sermons, I heard this verse quoted a lot of times. He must increase, but I must decrease. And it was always quoted and used in this connotation you must get out of the way of God so he can become bigger. You know, 
more of God, less of me. You know, and that's the way it was quoted. But do you realize why John the Baptist said this? This was John the Baptist's words. Do you realize that John the Baptist was the son of Zacharias, who was a priest? He was of the Levitical priesthood, the the lineage of the of, of the priesthood. And John the Baptist, because he was of the lineage of the priesthood, that means that, you know, I mean, okay, he's of the priestly lineage, so John's a priest. You know, I didn't realize that until a, a few years ago that it first struck me that John was a priest because his father was a priest. So here's what John, he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. You know, and he baptizes Jesus there in the Jordan River. But then the disciples said, you know, they they come to John and they say, remember that guy you baptized yesterday? Well, he's baptizing, and a whole lot of people are going after him. And, uh, you know, they're they're thinking that John the Baptist is going to be upset about this. You know, this guy came to me, I baptized him, and now people are going and following him. Instead of following me. They're moving from me to, to him. And you know, it was almost like uh, it, it was almost like the, the whole idea of you invite a guest minister into your church and your guest minister uh, comes in and he preaches and the next day half of your church leaves and goes to his church. You know, some almost like, you know, kind of that idea is what John the Baptist's disciples are thinking. You know, this, this guy comes in and now everybody's going after him. John said, it's okay because, you know, he is the one I've been talking about. He's the one, my job is to point people to him. So therefore, I must decrease, but he must increase. John the Baptist represented the Levitical priesthood. But Jesus came in, and with with Jesus, everything changed. Praise God. And the Levitical priesthood, see, what, what really happened was this. Think of it this way. John the Baptist the, represents the law, the priesthood that was under the law. Jesus is grace. And John the Baptist, being law, he said, I am handing off to grace. Praise God. I must decrease, he must increase. It was not talking about you getting out of God's way. Wasn't talking about more of God and less of you. He was saying we're the the Law is coming to an end, and grace is now God's method of dealing with people. Praise God. And he gives way to Jesus. That's why he said, I, the law, must decrease. He, grace, must increase. Praise God.
Now, let's look at this. We're talking about the needy God. In Luke chapter 15, we have the story, we would call it the story of the prodigal son. And in this story of the prodigal son, let, let's just, let's, let's read through it real quickly here because we, we really need to for you to, for you to get this. <clears throat> Begin with verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You realize that's the only place in this verse that, that the word prodigal is, refer, is used? In, in this whole passage, that's the only place that prodigal is used. Now, we say he was the prodigal son, but notice what does prodigal refer to in that verse there? Let me read it real carefully here to you. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So the word prodigal is referring to his lifestyle not to the son himself. <clears throat> but when he had spent all, <clears throat> there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And when he had joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of the swine that the, that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, notice the father sees him while he is a great way off, implying that the father was looking for him. Now, um, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, now he's been rehearsing this speech. Notice what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. Now notice the father's first words are to the servants. The father's first words were not to him. He didn't say, where you been, boy? 
What you been doing? No, he speaks first to the servants and notice what he says to the servants. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now notice here. He said, bring out the best robes, bring the ring, bring the sandals. Bring. In other words, he is restoring him to sonship. He didn't even respond to that request to be a servant. Can't you just hire me as one of your servants? The father didn't even respond to that. He just turned to his servants and said, restore him to full sonship. Praise God. Now, So he called one of the servants, um, I skipped a verse, verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, and he was... Uh, And he, the older son, was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been uh, serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Now, the older son, he's upset because his father is throwing a party to celebrate the return of the younger son. And now, notice here, he says, but as soon as this son of yours, and notice the, the tone in the older son's voice. As soon as this Son of yours, came who devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted, you killed the fatted calf for him. In other words, I've been serving you all this time and you never even gave me a goat, much less the fatted calf. Notice what the father says, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, notice this, the father 
He's out there looking for the sun. He was not looking for a servant. See, people that have the mentality of the needy God, he needs me to serve him. He needs a servant. And they always think of themselves in the servitude mentality rather than the son mentality. I want you to get that. God doesn't think of you as a servant. Well, I've been serving the Lord. You know, been, been serving the Lord for 20 years. We, we are so geared to the servant mentality that we can only see ourselves as a servant. The older son, where did they find him? He was in the field. Where does this story find him? He's in the field with the servants because he has a servant mentality. And the servant mentality says, if I serve you well enough and successfully enough, then maybe I could get this. The younger son, he knew he had been messing up. Now, he's got a little bit of that idea, but he doesn't understand his father. But he's got a little bit of that idea, well, maybe I can come and just be a servant and at least get to eat. And that's where many Christians are. They see the needy God who needs a servant, and if they serve him well enough, maybe he'll supply their needs. But what they don't see is he's not looking for a servant. He's looking for sons. Praise God. And sons don't eat because they serve. Sons eat because they're sons. Sons have privileges that servants don't have. Praise God. What father among you feeds his kids because they work hard? None of you. You fed your son before he ever did any work at all. Maybe he still hadn't done any work, you know, no, no matter how, you know, but you still feed him. Praise God, because he's a son. Now, let's see the picture here. We see the needy God. He needs us to serve him. Well, we talked about that he wants you involved in the process, but, you know, He's not looking for a servant. He's looking for somebody to be the next CEO. He's looking for somebody to take over and run this business. He's looking for somebody to give this thing to. He's not looking for a servant. He's looking for a son, and he 
why do we serve? You know, it's good to serve the Lord, but why do we serve the Lord? We serve Him not because we're servants. We serve Him because He's good. We serve Him because we are responding to His goodness and because there is a love relationship between us. That's why we serve the Lord, not because I am a servant of the Lord, but because I am a son and I love my father, and the reason I love my father is because he first loved me. Praise God. And because he first loved me, and now his love has been planted in my heart towards him, therefore we have a mutual relationship. He blesses me not because I serve him. He blesses me because I'm a son, but I serve him not because I'm a servant, but I serve him because I'm a son and I love him. Do you see how the whole picture works here? It's a whole lot different than this mentality. If you don't serve the Lord, if you don't do his bidding, if you don't, he, you know, he's going to cut you off. He's not going to provide for you anymore. He's going to probably destroy you. We've got a whole wrong picture of Father God. Praise God. It was the older son, you you realize it was not the father who was offended by what the younger son had done? He didn't even mention it. All he cared about was he was home. It was the older son who was offended by what the younger son had done. People might be offended at you because father blesses you. Sorry, they'll just have to be offended. Not like I'm trying to offend them. Father's just good to me. Praise God. Praise God. You know, is he is he a disappointed God? I need to close with this one. I'm I'm really I'm going to have to hit this one really fast, but this one is so good. I've got to get to this. You've got to get this today. Many people see him as the disappointed God. He's disappointed in me. Now, this has to do with hope. Now, we in faith circles, we thought hope was a bad word. We don't hope, we have faith, you know. But that's not even what Bible hope means. And, you know, as as I was reading some things on this, I began to see this picture of hope. And, and, and this author that I was reading after 
said it this way, and I thought it was a beautiful picture of what hope really is. That hope is like a, well, hope has its root and its anchor in truth. And truth is like a trailer hitch on truth, and when you attach your hope to the truth, then it brings you into the goodness and the blessing and the, all of the things that you hope for. When you attach it to the truth. Now, here's the truth. How could the Father ever be disappointed in you? Now, remember this about Father God. He sees the end from the beginning. And so he's already been to the end of this thing. And you were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. God predestined you to grow up and be conformed to the image of his son. Praise God. And he has seen the end, so he's already been to the day when that conforming to the image of his son is completed. You know, we say, well, God's still working on me. Well, in the mind of God, he's finished with you. He's already been to the end where you are completed. We are complete in him is what the scripture says. The apostle Paul wrote that. We are complete in him, in Christ. We're complete. The work of God is finished. So if God sees the finished product, how could he be disappointed in you? He created you to be something. You haven't been to the end yet, so you're not looking at the finished product. The people around you haven't been to the end yet. They're not looking at the finished product. Father God is seeing, he is looking at right now, he is seeing the finished product. How could he be disappointed? Why? Because you are being conformed to and he sees you as complete in Christ. And if you are complete in Christ, he is pleased with Christ. Now, here's something that when, when I begin to see this, man, I, I tell you what, I wanted to preach it right then. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it does not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, now it's not, remember the Father's already been there. He's already seen what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, 
We shall be like him. Praise God. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope that is anchored to the truth of what Jesus did purifies himself. How many people purify themselves? Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So in other words, God, he knows the truth. And his hope for you is anchored in that truth. And if he has the hope, he says, he knows what you're going to end up as. Praise God. God sees beyond today. God sees the end, the end result, the end product. He says, I gave my son so that they could have life, so that they could be perfected in him. And because he knows that, and he knows that what he did in Christ will not fail. So therefore, he sees what you shall be. It's not yet been revealed to us what we shall be. But we know, now why has it not been revealed to us? Because we haven't seen him as he is. And the more I see of him, then the more I become like him. Praise God. The more he's revealed to me, the more I become like him. He, God has high hopes for you, but don't think of hope as in maybe Maybe they will, maybe they won't. That's how we see hope. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. No, God sees hope connected to what he did in Christ. He sees hope connected to the truth of what he did. And because he knows the truth of what he did and he knows the significance of what he did and he knows it will not fail, he knows you're going to end up at the desired result. Praise God. So this is not a God that's disappointed. He, how could he ever be disappointed in you when he's already seen the end product that you are conformed to the image of his son? Praise God. Father, we thank you today. We value you, and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website, and we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus, and I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us, and remember that God is madly in love with you.